0: All right, guys. Our next guest is just the best. Honestly, (laughs) he's arguably the best analyst in the entire sport. His channel, Full Reptile, and his work on BT Sport is proof of exactly that. Featuring some of the best previews and post-fight breakdowns in the game. Oh, and he's a former UFC title challenger, so he knows a thing or two about what he's talking about. The one and only Dan Hardy. Welcome back, and thanks for helping us preview UFC 257 from the War Room set. No less with Fabrizio Verdoome's blood behind you on the canvas. How exciting, man! Part of history. Thank you so much. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm really good, guys. Yeah, it's, it's always good to be talking to you. We're, we always have a good conversation, so I'm looking forward to it. Mm.
2: And if we do need to gene- genetically recreate Fabrizio Verdoome in the future, <laughs> yes. you're the guy that people can come and see for a cheap price. You can get your own Fabrizio Verdoome today. Now, before we talk, McGregor um, Poirier too. Dude, you did such an amazing job on the commentary desk the other day. Um, how did it feel calling the action on network TV as the UFC was an ABC in the States, which is a big deal. People in Australia don't realize it's a massive, massive deal. And also, what did you make of the main event in the clinic Max Holloway put on? We had Alex Okonofsky on yesterday, and he says it's a case of the opponent in front of Max, that if it was him in front of Max, it would be a very different fight. Do you believe that, or do you believe that this new Max Holloway would put in a different sort of fight against the champ?
1: I I certainly think it would be a different fight, absolutely. I mean, you know, there were technical differences in Max in the fight that were evident. And I think that's a result of his, you know, lack of sparring. He's been doing a lot of play sparring and I I think more and more fighters are finding that really useful to kind of open up their skill set and help them relax when they're fighting. Um, I I just, I mean, I just thought he looked so good. I've got to see that match again. I mean, you know, the, the last one was so close. It was arguable you could score three rounds to Max. And I, I mean, I, I wouldn't judge. I'm going to watch it again a couple of times because now, now obviously it looks very likely I'll be breaking that, the, those previous fights down. Um, it is a different fight. You know, Volkanovski's always got that takedown threat. And, and there was just no, there was no shifting gears from Calvin Cater. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't adjust at all to Max. And that was maybe just because Max got out of the gates early. And that's very uncharacteristic of him. He's normally a builder, you know, he normally takes a couple of rounds, feel you out, kind of get your time and your range, and then he starts to pick it up. And that's why he was so good as a champion, because over five rounds, he can just, he can just light people up. Um, but that, that still was a whole new level. I mean, he, went, he stepped in the octagon with the, the, the highest striking record, at, you know, 2,100 strikes. Then second place is Johanna at, at 1,700. It's, it's crazy the pace that he puts on, but to better himself again and to hardly get touched in the process. I mean he was a bit scratched up but the, the the mess of calvin case's face was was unreal and, and to be and to answer the, the first question it was just very surreal i mean I, i'm i'm so in the fight fo- in the fight in the moment that i kind of don't take into account that that people are listening i know that's, that sounds kind of strange <laughs> but i'm having a conversation with dc and anik and, and I'm, obviously i'm polishing the edges a little bit of, of the conversation but You could hear me. I mean, I was told off for screaming too much and not saying something. considering we don't have Rogan on the call. Yeah, (laughs) but uh, it was surreal. Do you do you always
0: stand uh, during fights, or was this just exclusive to Max Holloway and how good his performance was? I feel like that's one of the benefits of this sort of you know COVID world we live in. You've got more room to sort of move around during these uh, calling these fights.
1: Yeah, I I do certainly feel much better about it when when there's not a crowd behind me. Absolutely, but uh, it's. You know, I, I try and stay seated for the majority of it because you've got, to, you've got to think if we're commentating into the early hours, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, fatigue does start to set in. You've been on air for 7 or 8 hours, and, it, you know, it just feels it, – it, it can feel exhausting if you, if you peak too early. And I've done it a couple of times before. You know, you get halfway through the preliminary card and you've had some amazing finishes. Like John Gooden and I called a, an event that was 13 finishes in a row. And just to keep the energy up for that mm-hmm. and to go from one knockout to the next – you have to kind of learn to pace yourself a little bit, especially when you've got a main event that you know is going to be chaos like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I try to stay stay seated for, for as much of it as I can. Um, but no, not, not I, I very rarely do stay seated. It's just there's just so much going on, and the, the chair doesn't give me enough movement. To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm limited on range.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it's funny because you had Max Holloway sort of staring at you guys, uh, slipping punches and yelling things at you. So I really feel like the broadcast desk has become a big part of some of these classic fights uh, kicking into 2021. Now, let's talk about uh, the big main event coming this weekend. Before we do, let's look at Dustin Poirier, Dan, because over the last six years, do you feel like he's plugged up those holes and sort of made those big improvements? And if we're talking about his improvements, where do you think his biggest improvements have been?
1: Well, honestly, I'm, I'm hoping and I think that his biggest improvements have been psychological because his game has not changed a great deal. You know, you, you go back to his Micklewright fight in WEC. It was like 53 seconds in the first round and it was just constant punches. He never stopped. And that, that's kind of Poirier's style. You know, he's not a one punch killer like, like McGregor is. So he has to approach the fight differently. He has to lean on the skill sets that he's got, which is aggression and pace and durability. Um, and I will say certainly that uh, Poirier at 155, it, he seems to be so far more durable than than, uh, than he was at 145. It makes sense. You know, an extra 10 pounds, it looks like he's kind of packed some muscle on around his shoulders and neck, and that that's going to help take some punches. But he seems to, and I think it's more of a maturity thing, to be honest. You know, once he gets past those first sort of 90 seconds where he's a bit he's a bit cautious and sometimes he can get stung and hurt like you know, Michael Johnson stopped him about you know I don't know how these numbers keep coming to me minute 24 I think it was on the clock um, <laughs> wow. it's you know like it's, it's there's a consistency in his game that's about 90 seconds and Connor's going to try and exploit that best he can and that's that's primarily a psychological attack because you need him to be freezing up in, in the early minute um, so that's the big question for me is whether Poirier is going to be able to shut that part of his mind off and not respond to McGregor. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, if he can, then he then he's, he can get the fight further and further into his areas, which is the later rounds and the, the scrappy dogfight where he's in your face and, you know, he's landing more punches than you are. Like, that, that's a dangerous Dustin Poirier because he can overwhelm everybody. Uh, and, and he's got much more of a ferocious pace than the likes of Nate Diaz. I would say he's got a bit more of a pop in his hands as well. So th- there is a possibility that he can wear McGregor out, but it, th- the first 90 seconds are crucial for it. Uh, and he, c- he cannot be responsive to McGregor's mind games.
2: Wow. What a, what a great way to put it down. We have to also quickly ask you, how the hell did you remember that <laughs> 24th minute thing? Might- how does this come to you? Do you just like lay at night sometimes and some kind of crazy random fact <laughs> that no one ever thinks of just comes to mind? Or does it just pop up? Does this this something like, do you, because people would be like, oh, maybe Dan Hardy sits there and prepares, like, these crazy facts. But that's not the case at all, is it? It just comes
1: to you. I know. No, I just, I don't know. Things just stick in my mind because it, cause I notice, I notice something. I'm like, oh, that's around, the, that around the, the, the 92nd mark. I mean, you know, I might be wrong. You know, I might have said that and it might be, you know, like 136. But it, it's somewhere around there, you know, it's it's somewhere around there. Things that stick in my mind, especially if I've repeated it a few times. Uh, my, my friend was laughing at me today. He said it's kind of like the Queen's Gambit. I'm not sure whether you've seen that, which kind of spaces out and there's loads of mathematics going on on on, on the ceiling and stuff, shape, you know, shifting around. Uh, it it be a bit like that sometimes, especially if I've not had much sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, ah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't function as well as you do on uh, on lack of sleep. But I, I was going to ask you when it comes when it comes to to Dan. Uh, you mentioned the mind games, and that was like a big part of the story in the first fight. Connor was so much more aggressive with his mental games. do I know we've got a press conference to get through, so we'll see how that all goes. But if this is a similar build up to, say, the Cerrone fight, where there's a lot of handshaking and complimenting, you know, snake boots and snake jackets, do you think that that kind of plays into, you know, Poirier's hands and makes him feel a little bit more at ease?
1: I, I don't think so, no. I just I think Justin Poirier doesn't like him and i think that, that that no matter who mcgregor shows up as fight week i don't think i don't think poirier is going to want to entertain him at all um so whatever mcgregor does his confidence is going to irritate poirier that that's the thing that i think he finds most unnerving is the fact that he's just so comfortable in those heated environments where most people start to crumble um and you know dustin poirier's the you know he's he's the he'll grit it out and fight through that area but mcgregor just he just rides it um, you know, and, that, and that's you know, that's I guess that's the X factor when you're talking about fighters and, and, and mixed martial arts. It, it, the, the thing that stands out is how well they, they command that space, that pressure. It's you know, Super Bowl every time for a fighter. It's either do or die, and and you know, a lot of people don't respond well to that, which is what makes the ones that do so special. Mm. We saw
2: a statement from Dustin Poirier, I believe it was last week, where he mentioned how you know he's looking forward to getting in there against Conor McGregor, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but sort of battling it out early and really going into that war. And um, it kind of raised some red flags for me because I suppose the best way to beat McGregor is to sort of go through those first initial rounds and then sort of turn things on later on when he gets a little bit tired. Do you believe that that's what Dan is really planning on doing? Or is this all a part of the sort of, I suppose, build up and games before they actually get into the octagon?
1: Um... You, you, you're referring to the main event still?
2: The
0: main event, yeah. Dennis from, said uh, Dan, Dustin. but I think you meant Dustin.
2: Dan. <laughs> Too many
0: Dans in our um, lives.
1: <laughs> you, yeah, you're trying, to, you're trying to trick me here. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. It was 1.35 as well. I was a couple of seconds off. but uh, Still close. I was close. The, the, the Michael Johnson one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> failure, failure. Um,
2: <laughs> I'm getting, so little, I'm a, getting the uh, wrong name of the fighter in the main event. <laughs> <I> guess, uh, <laughs>
1: You'll be fine. Nine seconds. I remember those nine seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the question was about Dustin Poirier and, and about his statement about battling through the the early rounds and and getting it into deeper waters with McGregor. Yeah. I, I mean that that might have been a that might have been more of a of a mental state that he has to be in more than standing in the pocket and trading. You know, I think he I think he's got to put himself in a in a in a mindset that he's going to take a few punches in this fight. He's got to be comfortable with the fact that he's going to get get hit. And it's going to be uncomfortable at times. Um, and he's going to have to be cautious, you know, with his defense, especially for the early parts of the fight. Um, so that that might have been more of a more of a statement of his mental game plan than anything, because I think the, the safest and smartest thing to do is for him to to like intelligently disengage for, you know, the, the first couple of rounds and just kind of chip away at McGregor safely as he's coming in. You know, Poirier's got good footwork as long as he doesn't get drawn in. He's got a great jab. Um, he covers distance well as well, moving forward and backwards. And we, we saw in the Jim Miller fight, Eric Cope fight, like he's chopping in with low kicks. You know, especially with two southpaws facing each other, that lead leg is so vulnerable. You've got the, fib, uh, the uh, tibial nerve that runs down the outside. As soon as that's a couple of times it has been kicked, we, we lose mobility in that that lower part of our leg. And McGregor plants all of his weight on that lead leg. So if Poirier can dig a few of those in in that first round as he's moving away it considerably diminishes McGregor's ability to move forward, to throw his biggest power shots, and to even use his kicks to, to cut the octagon down. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's that psychological game. You know, it's, it's can he not get drawn in? Can he not freeze up and leave himself vulnerable, for, you know, right in the, in the crosshairs of, of McGregor's left hand? Because the reality is if that happens, he'll fall just like he did at featherweight. Um, I, don't think, I don't think weight class is, uh, um, is an indicator of power for McGregor. I think that is transferable all the way up um the, the difficulty they had at 170 with uh with, with nate diaz is because you know he's like a floor standing punch back like you, you've seen those cheap inflatable punch bags that, <laughs> that they've got a weighted bottom and you hit them they just bounce away and then come back <laughs> like, because he's got such a long base like as you hit him he just kind of rolls away from it mm. like trying to beat up a carpet so you know it's, that, that's a very frustrating thing for mcgregor because he's a headhunter um he had to diversify his attack a bit more in the last one uh so There are certain things that Poirier can do well, but, but being able to ride that punch like Nate Diaz instead of freezing up like he did the first time He's going to be a big part of it, and that is the psychological game. It's interesting that you mentioned the leg kicks, Dan, because Bass was on
0: this show, Bass Rutten, and he was actually demonstrating. He sort of stood back and he showed how, with Connor's sideways, sort of bladed stance, it very much leaves him open to uh, the leg kicks and in a way that he, he can't really check them, especially if they come, you know, from, from behind him. I'm wondering, and we saw Dustin actually employ arguably the most leg kicks that anyone's uh, ever attempted on connor but i'm wondering why do you think no one's had you know a ton of success against connor with the leg kicks it seems like i don't want to say the obvious strategy but it seems like you mentioned one that's kind of right there and how do you employ something like that against mcgregor without you know
1: getting countered by
0: some of the the lethal punches that he has
1: well, I think, again, it comes down to stance because most of the people that McGregor's faced have been orthodox fighters and, and it's much more difficult to throw kicks to that lead leg unless you're, you're, either play, you're either throwing power kicks to the inside lead leg or you're kind of skip him forward and digging the calf kick, mm. which leaves you in a very, very vulnerable place for that left hand. And, you know, McGregor's quite happy to use that lead hand to either set it up with a punch or to catch a kick to fire that down the pipe. You know, he's very good at, ca- at catching kicks. We saw him... Uh, you know, land takedowns off uh, Max Holloway in the first round. So, first round, third round. You know, there's like a there's a, there's an inherent risk if you're a, if your opposite stances throwing low kicks. You have to really consider the setup, which is much much easier to do if you're moving forward. So, you know, if McGregor was moving forward, he's you know he's got a variety of kicks he could throw against an orthodox fighter. But if Poirier is circling away and trying to stay away from the left hand. It's going to be very diff- you know. It's going to be much easier for him to throw the low kicks than it would be for other people under pressure, because they're going to have to try and skip, and there's it, it's, it's kind of a sticking point there. And you leave yourself in the centre line. It's just, it's just very dangerous. So I think that's why most people don't, because they're they're aware of that danger. Whereas Poirier, being the same stance, you know, as as the as the rear hand's coming forward, he can lean across the centre line and chop into that lead leg, or he can step across to the outside and, and, and cut up the inside of the knee. You know th- there are two good options there that both dismantle the base of that lead leg, which nullifies the punch anyway, and um, it gets his head off the center line. So even if the even if the left hand does get fired out, um, it's not going to do a great deal to him. And we know that McGregor doesn't need that back foot planted for the the left hand, but he definitely needs the the lead foot planted because all of his weight's on it. I mean, the first punch he threw against Cowboy was literally a like a it was like a a lunge, it was like a forward lunge left hand nearly 100% of his weight was on his lead leg. It's it's the most vulnerable target if you're facing him, and Poirier's got a, an advantage given the fact that he's the same stance. Man, it's such an exciting fight. Obviously, McGregor
2: hasn't spent that much time in the octagon, we saw with Cerrone, He was relatively quick, um, and I guess that is always the biggest criticism that he's gotten, as the fight moves on, as you get past the first couple of rounds, and you go into those third, fourth, fifth rounds, he has a tendency to sometimes slow down. But apparently this is the best Conor McGregor that we've seen in a long time. He says he beat the previous versions of himself. Um, What kind of Conor McGregor do you think we'd see if Dustin goes through those initial couple of rounds? And is there a mental side of things that could affect Conor from the perspective of before he was able to put him away so early? But if Dustin can withstand some of that storm and some of those initial rounds, will there be sort of a mental um, thing that Conor has to deal with? Now the sort of Dustin has survived and made it all the way through. To later on in that fight, if that does happen this weekend,
1: I suppose that's all dependent on whether he's bluffing about his condition or not. <laughs> because the truth is, only he knows how hard he's been pushing himself, and he he, he knows how deep his lungs are. So. If it does start to get into the deeper rounds and he doesn't have confidence in his conditioning, then we'll start to see him unravel a little bit because he'll, you know, it'll start. We'll start to get that the panic reactions like shooting a double leg on a, on a black belt. <laughs> you know, like it, you, there are certain things that kind of you, you kind of throw logic to the wayside when you when you're uh, you're fatigued. Start talking to, so, to Dustin on the cage. <laughs> Take it easy. This is for yeah. charity, Your friends. Your friends. <laughs> It'd be really like nice if we watch the watch the fight together. Yeah, yeah I just I, I I think that. It really depends on on his confidence in his conditioning. I mean, that's that's the, that's the reality of it. If he's bluffing, if he doesn't believe that he's in good condition, then we'll see that as he starts to get tired. Whereas he may look tired at certain points in the fight, but if he's confident in his conditioning, he'll still work through it and he'll work around it. Because there there is a difference between between Dustin Poirier and, and Conor McGregor. You know, it's the difference between a power lifter and a marathon runner in, you know, a closer spectrum, but still, still the same kind of spectrum. Like McGregor can fire that left hand with loads and loads of power, but he's only got a certain amount of times he can do it. Like there's a there's a physiological taxation on his body because it takes so much so much muscle fiber contraction to create that much that much energy. Um, whereas Justin Poirier, he's the you know. He's, he's on the spin bike, he's on the air dying, he's bang, 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 bang over and over again. And all of his muscles firing, because he's not landing with the same kind of power, he, there's less of a less energy expenditure, which means he can throw more. Um, so, you know, Conor has to manage his energy regardless of whether he's in good condition. He can still punch himself out just because that's his, that's his physiological makeup. Um, I certainly think he's going to be in excellent condition, though. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. Um, I was discussing it with my old conditioning coach, early Ollie, Ollie Richardson. Uh, he was saying, I mean, you know, what does he have to do? He wakes up, he's got a calorie-controlled breakfast. He goes to train. Everything's taken care of before him. He, he gets his post post-training shake, fully balanced electrolytes and everything. I mean, you know, he's, he's basically a, he's basically a NASCAR. They, they're finally cool. tuning him, and, and he's just he's just able to be a student. I mean, it takes so many things off the off the table. The fact that he's got uh, got the finances to do it. I expect the best version of him. One hundred
0: percent, and he, he looks extremely jacked in his Instagram posts. I also wanted to ask you, uh, with Dustin, you, know, you talk about Dustin wearing out Conor McGregor, and there's kind of this notion that, well, maybe Dustin should just go for the ground, try and get Conor McGregor down there, wear him out there. And, you know, if we're looking just purely at numbers and stats, which don't tell the whole story, you know, Conor's losses have come via, uh, you know, submission. But do you think that Dustin kind of has the, the, the wrestling savviness to get in on Conor, who is so good at distance management and Dustin's takedowns, they sort of come from the pressure, which is going to be the, the hardest part in a way for, for Dustin. What do you think about this notion that, well, you know, Dustin should just take it to the ground?
1: I uh, I don't I, I don't think it's that easy for him. Mm. You no. Know, you know, the 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 takedown offense that McGregor displayed against Khabib was impressive. You know, even though he was grounded, he he did, he did I mean that first scramble was about 45 seconds long. Most people don't stay standing that long against Khabib if he decides they're going down. Um I, I think McGregor's takedown offense and grappling is going to be on par um to be able to keep this fight standing. And then that's when that's when there's a psychological impact on Poirier because if he feels like his best route to victory is a takedown then that doesn't happen that means he doesn't have a choice but to stand with mcgregor whereas it's kind of an ace in the back pocket even if in actuality it wouldn't work if he thinks well you know if he keeps pressuring back and always take him down but facing the reality of not being able to in the first round might be a scary thing for him because he might not be able to do it and then he has to face mcgregor in the feet on the feet and that's just going to make him more tense I don't think it'd be a very good use of energy, to be honest. I, I think he'd be he'd be far better uh, playing the long game and, and chipping away at McGregor. You know, there's, there's no there's no reason why he needs to rush in there. There's, there's a reason why we have fights over five rounds, you know, when we're getting close to championships, is because it, it changes the dynamic of the fight. Like, over three rounds, we can get an unclear winner. You know, you think back to the Dustin Poirier-Dan Hooker fight. That was a three-round fight. If we call that on the scorecards at three rounds... Hooker's probably two rounds up, mm. but but what what we realized after the, the the fourth and fifth round is that Hooker's not quite ready for championship fights yet. You know he's tough and he's durable, but he doesn't have that that perhaps maturity to to adapt over five rounds. Because you know the thing is the thing is, and it's and I'm not in any way criticizing him because he's an excellent fighter, and I think I think Chandler's going to have to te- going to test his mentality and his maturity in this fight because. I know. I know. We're kind of jumping around the card a bit. Here, right. Forgive me. Um, the thing, the thing I've, I've noticed with Dan Hooker is he's excellent until he gets drawn into the fight a little bit, like Poirier, a little bit like uh, Felder, which is why they were such fun fights to watch. Because you know, you, you, at the end of the first round, it looks like the end of the third, and it's a bloodbath, and they're both sweating and gasping for air. Like Poirier had his hands on his knees at the end of the second round. You know, it, it was a, it was a wild fight, a wild pace. But he started off really well, jabs, low kicks, moving around, picking him off. And he's got the range and the height to be able to, to you know, to do that to Poirier. But he gets too excited and he gets drawn in. Uh, and, you know, that's, that, that's the, the difference in mentality of when you know you've got to fight over five rounds. That, I always say this to, to, to young fighters if I'm chatting to them, like, you can't war in the first round. That's never, ever game plan A. War, I mean, use the W. War should be game plan W. Like you should have options all the way through, and you should exhaust all those options all the way to war. Like war the final solution always, because you know as Max Holloway kept saying on the broadcast, and I didn't realize what he was talking about until later. Protect your chickens. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we've, we've got to be smart about this. Like Max Holloway not sparring heavily in training in training camp has really showed in his in his fights. You, you I would argue that same with, same thing with Conor McGregor. He's made a career on being efficient and playful, which is probably what he's learned against Artem Lobov, because they're good friends and they've got playful sparring sessions and no one's trying to kill each other. So, like, having the ability to try new things all the way through the fight and to, ah, this this route of attack's not working, let me try and circle in this way and work this body kick or, you know, such and such. Like, they're all the options that you should have. And for me, fight IQ is basically that array of options. If you've got low fight IQ, you've maybe got A and B. And A might be moving, jab, and B's war. And that's not enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, not at a high level. You, you've got to level up when it gets to championship fights. So stretching it over five rounds, it really shows who's got the minerals over, over the distance and, you know, who's got the majority, maturity to hold a belt.
0: I like uh, war being the final the final option that's uh, fight advice and also life advice Um, I want to ask you one more thing about this fight and then I do want to get your thoughts on uh, Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler Dan and then get out of your hair but um, obviously Habib is very much a part of the storyline heading into this fight you know there was the meeting with Dana White which I don't know some people took something from it some people think it was a complete (laughs) non-story And I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. But also, Habib's presence on the island, I wonder from a mental side of things, do you think that has anything, uh, any kind of effect on Conor McGregor, the fact that Habib now says that he's going to be watching these fights? The fact that he, he, I don't know if he's still on the island, but even the fact that he was sort of around, given the the bitter and intense rivalry that they had and how much of Conor's life it took up, do you think it, it, it plays any factor even in the lead up to this fight?
1: I don't think so to be honest. I don't I don't know whether I don't know whether McGregor will be will be really considering the fact that Khabib's there. You know, his name will come up in in interviews and stuff, but McGregor very linear in his thinking. I think he I think he knows what he wants to achieve and that's that's evident in what he's what he's already accomplished. Um I think he's focused on, on Poirier and I think I think he's not necessarily looking past Poirier, but he knows that Khabib's there as a, as a viable option, you know, if he performs. But he always knew that there was that provision there for, for Khabib. Like, if McGregor squeaks out a decision over Poirier, why would, why would Khabib come back to train? Like, he's 29-0. and 0. Like, he'd beat everybody that was worth beating at least once. Like, why would he bother coming back unless there was something impressive? The thing I respect about, about uh, Khabib and his interview with Dana is that he, he mentioned Charles Oliveira. And that, for me, shows he is paying close attention to this division because a lot of people are still writing him off even after he dismantled Tony Ferguson, like, he's the guy to watch in this division. I, I, I mean, you know, I, we did a show on BC Sport the other day, and I was kind of playful in some of the picks that I made, uh, which I, I took a lot of heat for online, as I think some people be, were thinking I'm being serious. Which you, but, you usually
2: know, do anyway, so there's nothing Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just another down-down <laughs> Artie's life. <laughs>
1: um, but, you know, I, I think... I think of all the picks I made, you know, he was the one I was I was deadly serious about. I mean, he could absolutely be champ at the end of at the end of this year because he's got all the skills. You know, his he, his submission game is is unquestioned. Um, his striking game is coming up leaps and bounds every time we see him. And everyone thought that Tony Ferguson would be the antithesis of Khabib be because he's got sharp elbows and and weird uh, attacks off his back. But the reality is, Charles Oliveira is just a better version of Tony Ferguson. He's the smarter version of him. I mean, you have got Tony Ferguson wrestling a hot tub on his Instagram, and you got Charles Oliveira working <laughs> diligent on his on his, you know, guard passing. There's a, there's a big difference. Um, I, I, I think I think the thing that will we'll draw back draw Khabib back is if he feels like there's something to prove against one of the contenders. And McGregor's got to look fantastic and probably beat somebody else, maybe even beat Charles Oliveira to get that shot. Um, but you know, it's funny because uh, they've actually moved uh, Khabib's. Uh, uh, relative onto is his brother moved him onto the the Wednesday card just so they're not crossing past too much oh. and my, my Raptors are out in Fight Island still and they've got an, an uh, a situation where McGregor just walked into the hotel just as Khabib was, was walking through the lobby as well they missed each other by about about 90 seconds from what I understand so I mean you know it's, it's tenuous still time but uh I don't think McGregor would be phased.
2: I love that. I love Dana White. I love it because Dana White's like, oh, those guys will not be crossing parts. And the second he gets in the hotel, he was 90 seconds away from crossing parts with Khabib. So that's hilarious. Um, just quickly on on Khabib and Conor. I mean, lastly, when you spoke to us last time about how if Khabib sticks around, Conor's days as champion might be over. If Khabib doesn't ever return, which is a very real possibility, do you think that changes? Do you see Conor becoming champion again at 155 in a khabib division?
1: I mean, he's he's going to get more opportunities than everybody else. There's no doubt about that. I mean, what's this? His third fight in the division. It's 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 the only one that's not been for a title. Like you know, he, he finds himself uh, in very lucky situations because of his marketability. So, and and everybody in this division knows that you know if, if you're going to fight someone and make a big chunk of cash, it's going to be Conor McGregor. Um, so, I mean, he's you know he's always the money fight. He's always the person that's worth hanging about on because. He's, uh, you know, he's going to draw the, the pay-per-view buys and, and the, the the viewers. He's got the chat. He's got the swagger. He's got to perform, though. And this that's the reality of this lightweight division. And, and like, McGregor is definitely one of the top, top contenders in this division. But that doesn't by any means mean his he's head and shoulders above the rest of them. Like, you could even pull guys from lower down, the likes of Islam Makachev. You know, you give that guy another 12 months and, and a couple more wins, and his confidence is really going to come in. And, you know... Like he's not in the shadow of the big tree anymore, you know. Like Khabib's not at the top of the division holding him back. There's nothing to stop him taking the sprint at that belt. So, like, there are lots of guys that could cause uh, cause McGregor problems just because he, he might be able to win the belt. It doesn't mean he's not going to have to work hard for it. Um, that's why I'm excited to see him back at 55 because he's not he's not a 70 pounder. He's just not. I mean, uh, like you watch me w- watch me interview him in uh, um, in Dublin after he faces um, uh, Dustin Poirier. And uh, he's it's not Diego Brandau, and he's much, yeah. he's much uh, smaller than me, like stature wise. Um, I think 55 is the right weight class for him, and I'm not a big one, 70 pounder anymore, compared to some of these monsters. Um, like Neil Magnus, like seven foot three, with a
2: 90 <laughs> <laughs> he's actually the Undertaker, people don't realize. <laughs> You
1: have to my to point you in yours.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. As if this weekend doesn't have enough fun fights as it is. And by the way, I want to chat to you in a second about uh, Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler. Uh, the only thing that makes this better and this weekend better is making a few bones of putting down some bets on your favorite fights. Watching juicy, juicy knockouts and highlight reel KOs and fun fights and then making a few bucks off it. There's only one place you should go for that feeling and that is mybookie.ag. Isn't that right, Dennis?
2: That's right, Cass. There's only one place, like you mentioned. MyBookie has better bonuses and more MMA odds than any other sportsbook, period. And more importantly, they are the only sportsbook submission radio recommends. When you win, they pay fast. So make sure to sign up with promo code SUBMISSION. MyBookie will match your deposit halfway up to, that's right, $1,000. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to enter your promo code SUBMISSION now.
0: That's right. And while we have this bipolar weather here in Australia, it is technically summer and you know what that means. Shave your beans, man. Shave your freaking balls. Shave your back. Shave wherever you would like with Manscapes Lawn Mower 3.0, the best grooming tool on the market with its LED light. It is waterproof. You can do it in the shower. Just part of your routine. Uh, 7,000 RPMs of power. Skin safe technology. So, you know, it won't cut one of your nuts off. And they sponsor the UFC and they sponsor fighters such as Max Holloway and Francis and Garner. He probably needs an extra large Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. Isn't that right, Dennis? Oh, and use the code Submission for your 20% off discount.
2: Yeah, man. Listen, people would remember my Tom Hanks castaway beard. Well, Manscaped were the people to go to. They were able to help me uh, get rid of this bad boy. I used, of course, the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 to shave it down and get rid of it go to manscaped.com use that code word submission 20% off and free shipping today
0: by the way if you're ever struggling to watch fights on certain channels uh, maybe you didn't get the fights in your country maybe they're blacked out for whatever reason maybe you're in australia and you can't watch bellator people are always ask us how do we watch bellator or especially this weekend when you want to watch the fights uh, it is as simple as using pure vpn uh, the best vpn in the world to change your region and make your computer think you are in a different part of the world where you can watch the fights you can watch things like espn or bt sport or globo or any sporting channel in the world the same goes for movies you can be on your netflix log into your account and then watch it from a different region uh, and they are giving away a great deal at the moment where it's just 99 cents for a seven day trial you can see if you like it or 47 percent off for one year actually that includes 47 percent off for one year or if you go for two years and you do like it it is 70 percent off and if you use the code submission you get an additional 10 percent off isn't that right dennis
2: that's right, man. Listen, uh, sometimes you buy the pay per view, but you want to check out one of your favorite fighters in the prelims, but the pre- prelims aren't available in your country. So you yeah, got to wait till after the event, check the prelims out later. So get that VPN going uh, so you can check it out through your Fight Pass or uh, through a channel in, in your local country that you can't have access to because you're traveling, PureVPN is the place to go. That's http forward slash submission. Use the code word submission now.
0: Now, Dan, it's it's funny how you mentioned war is sort of never the first option. Uh, this could very well be the, the reality in the first round with uh, Michael Chandler being very, very explosive and very, very aggressive in that first round. Um, how do you see how do you see Dan handling that, you know, with his with his reach, with his stiff jab, and sort of looking to, I guess, slow things down? He told us that he's looking to sort of wear that early storm, and then Dan feels like from then on afterwards, it'll be kind of easier for him to control the fight.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that might be the smart thing to do. There's going to be a lot of nervous energy in Chandler. You know, he's been building up this UFC debut in his own head. You can guarantee it. Um, of all the fights he's had, you know, earlier in his career, there's, there's always been a goal to get to the top. And... You no, know, no disrespect to, to Bellator and, and their champions, but if you, you could be a champion at Bellator, but you have to be the best in the UFC to hold a belt, and that's just the that's just the reality of it. I'm afraid, and like Chandler knows that, which is why he's still climbing up the tree to, towards the, the UFC title. So there's going to be anxiety attached to that. Dan Hooker's you know a, a young veteran in this division. He's been around that you know he's been around. He's fought some hard nosed fights, um, and he's going to be comfortable in there, and he's going to feel like he's welcoming Chandler in into a place that he's not, not familiar. Um, there's definitely you know, certain things he needs to watch out for in the first round. I mean, the explosiveness of Chandler crosses over to his striking as well as his takedowns. I also think he brings a new dynamic to wrestling in this division. We, we don't have many big power double wrestlers at lightweight. Most of them are chain wrestlers. Most of them will take you down against the fence and keep mauling you. And you know, it's a different style of wrestling. And I would say that Dan Hooker's takedown defense against the fence is much better than out in the open. Out in the open, he's there to be hit and taken down. So, like, strategically, he's got to think about where he is in, in the octagon. If I was him, I'd be skirting the, the the edge and forcing Chandler to shoot me into the fence so I can at least use that as part of my takedown defense. Um, but, you know, th- this might be different to the Poirier fight. It might not be about winning the first two. And this is a three-round fight as well. I mean, I could talk forever. There's so much to think about with these. Mm. Um, it's a three-round fight. You know, he only needs to win two instead of instead of three like he like would over five. So... I would say, even if he does have a rough first round, he might be able to pace himself and then take the second and third off Chandler. But he's still going to have to work hard because it's it's three rounds and Chandler's you know supremely conditioned. It's a, it's a good fight. It's a tough fight for Chandler because it's his debut. It's a tough fight for Dan Hugger because stylistically he gets drawn into positions where he could be exploited by Chandler's explosivity. Um, but you know, there's no doubt that near the center. Good footwork and, 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 you know, a good jab, as you said, would do him a, a real good uh, a real good service in the first round. Yeah, that knee up the center, man. The way he times it is unbelievable.
2: And he mentioned to us as well that a lot of things he's unhappy about with that Dustin Poirier fight and also you no know, crowd and not con- kind of being on for it was a factor for him as well. So I wonder how it's going to affect the Dan Hooker that we see in the biggest spot in his career, I mean, let's be honest, a co an event under Conor McGregor. What do you think is at stake here for Chandler and, uh, and Hooker as far as the division goes, Dan? Because you've got these guys right under, you know, Conor. It's not really clear who's fighting for the title next. And even before this fight goes down, there's going to be this press conference. And uh, a lot of people may not realize this about Dan Hooker, but he's... And I remember back in the day when me and Casper used to even do the events in New Zealand before anyone really knew who Dan was and he was still starting out. Everyone would always say this guy is kind of like the New Zealand Conor McGregor. Like he's sharp, he's witty, he's always got something great to say and his timing is impeccable. So just being on that press conference with those guys and then putting on a big performance for a guy like Dan or even Chandler getting a big win. What do you think that means for him?
1: I mean, you know, as you said, it's it's a marquee event. It's a big opportunity to really shine. Um, you know, myself and the guys at BT, well, Nick Pete, primarily has has created this uh, this uh, unofficial official lightweight tournament, uh, and that's one of the what's one of the four brackets. Oliveira has already progressed, and we've got two two of the bracket this weekend, and then potentially we've got Diaz going in there against um, against Gaethje as well, which might be an exciting one. So, you know, there's there's the, the lots going on in this division, but I definitely feel like this is one of the four fights that that is in contention for the belt or for a number one contender fight. You know, Chandler was the reserve for the for Habib the, the Gaethje fight. So that tells you what the UFC consider um, his his uh, limitation. I mean, you know, they consider him championship material. Um, Dan Hooker has got the opportunity to prove himself as, as championship material because if he beats Chandler, then, you know, he's, he, he puts himself ahead of him in the conversation and puts himself in another very interesting fight. He doesn't lose a great deal of ground because he's still young in his career. And, you know these top few guys can play out, and and Hooker can come through in the next 18, 18 to twenty four months. There's still plenty of time for him. Um, and for Chandler, I don't think he loses too much either. There's always the Arctic and jitters and first time around in the UFC, etc. You know, I mean, you know, Ga- Gaethje had a blistering start and a, and a rough a rough <laughs> finish to his first first fight in the UFC. You know, it doesn't always work out. Um, but it's you know it, it's it, it is what it is. You know, you you just got to kind of learn on the job and. We've seen Chandler go through wars. We've seen him battle against UFC veterans and former champions. Eddie Alvarez and Ben Henderson are a great test of where his skill sets are. So I I expect big things from him. You know, he's definitely top 10 in the world. We just need to find out whereabouts in the top 10, and that's where it gets interesting. Mm, And a tough test against Dan Hooker.
2: Just quickly, Dan, as we wrap up, what would you like to see? Let's say everything goes to plan and Conor McGregor does beat Dustin Poirier this weekend. So many question marks about what's next for him. What would you? What would excite you the most in terms of what's next for Conor McGregor if he does beat Dustin again?
1: Um, I mean, you know, if, if this Nate Diaz Gaethje fight comes together, I think that'd be a really interesting one. Um, I, I think uh, I think Charles Oliveira is a tough test for anybody. I just don't know if that's, you know, if I think about the UFC as a promotion, I don't I don't see that as being a really sellable fight right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's going to hold Charles Oliveira back. That's going to probably force him to, to get another victory over, you know, maybe a Gaethje or, a, um, you know, a, a Diaz or whoever's in front of him. Um, maybe even a Chandler would be an interesting fight. Maybe he gets the winner of this weekend. Mm. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, McGregor's the one with the star power, but you've also got to consider that the, the, the B-side to the fight has got to be someone that's going to stir interest in McGregor and in the fans. Um uh, that's why I think you know Nate Diaz is probably getting weighed in to, to move back down to, uh, to to the division. I don't mean weighed in for one fifty five either, although there might be some ones and fives in it. <laughs> would it be a shame
2: if Would it be a shame if he went to boxing after being having a successful return for you, or is that something you'd be excited? Yeah, to see? I think it would.
1: I think it would. i have not really got any interest in in watching fight Pacquiao. I mean, I'm not really. I'm not. Yeah, I just there's just no consistency in it. I want to see him. I want to see him in the bet in the pool of the best MMA fighters in the world. Like boxing for me now, for McGregor is more of an exhibition, especially against Pacquiao. It'd be fun, you know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to watch, but you that's know, kind of off-season stuff. Mm. <laughs> like he's back he's in now, We need him in the octagon, so I, I want him to stick around, and I would like to see him face. You know, I mean, there's always there's always the Nate Diaz trilogy. 155 makes even more sense because that's natural weight class for both of them. Um, Charles Oliveira is the man. He's the one you got to watch out for. He's going to strangle the life out of everybody in this division. And, and he, you know, he, he might be, he might be tailor made for McGregor because he does kind of stand square and tall. But for everybody else in the division, I, I think he's a real problem. Um, he's definitely one of the top two for, in my eyes for sure. That's right.
0: Look out for Charlie Olives. Uh, another epic chat in the books, Dan. Follow the man on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Hardy I love, I love the hot takes, the unfiltered hot takes, especially the stuff you do on BT Sport, which is amazing, and the stuff yeah. you guys uh, chat about on Open Mat, which seems to get you in trouble every time, but uh, we love it, <laughs> we love it, we love we love seeing on Twitter the aftermath afterwards, but we appreciate the the honesty in your opinions, and I think everything you say makes sense. You've also got The War Room, the best breakdowns in the game, there's Listen with Mark Goddard, uh, and of course his book, Full Reptile. Always appreciate, oh, and the channel, Full Reptile, of course, with the Raptors. Um, Always appreciate your time, Dan. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, guys. Always good talking to you.